This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kara here. All right, what am I doing today? I am looking through this beautiful bread cookbook. We got all the basics today. I'm talking about bread, talking about applesauce. I'm going to talk about the new revamp of Burrow in the North Loop. So we got a little... Not exactly bread and circuses, bread and applesauce. That's what we're doing today. All right, so here's who's on the line. If you've been in this bread-baking game of ours the last, you know, 30 years, I know you know Daniel Leader's name. He wrote that Bread Alone cookbook, one of the foundational elements of our current bread renaissance that we're living through where all the bread is awesome. Um, he's got a, he put out a book a couple years ago on kind of the artisan baking that's happening in America, and he's got this new one right out now called Living Bread, and it's kind of a, a travel log in some ways about the, the most interesting bakers who are doing very interesting things. Uh, you know, in Europe, a lot of it is. And I have to tell you, I am a little jaded. Like, I've read a lot of bread recipes. My jaw was on the floor of a bunch of these in the back. I mean, these are – they're just very detailed recipes, interesting ways of cooking, interesting ways of thinking about flour from deep inside Italy and uh, Germany, northern Europe. So I, I'm just excited about this conversation. Daniel Leader is on the show. We'll just leap right into it. Daniel, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I know so many of our listeners have bread alone on – out on our shelves because you really kicked off a revolution when you wrote that or or whatever the word is. Um, and so you have had a life in bread. Yeah, I mean, my bakery, Bread Alone, um, uh, is celebrating its 36th anniversary um, on October 1st, the same day that um, Living Bread is published. So yeah, it's been it's been a few years. Congratulations! That's a that's impressive. Yeah, it's uh, it's been great. I mean, um, I I was very lucky to kind of get in the spread game early, and I I my early mentors were some really, you know, important uh, bakers in France, and so I learned from you know really from the old timers, and um, I try to pass that knowledge along. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, what you're what you're up to these days. So, tell us about Living Bread. You know, I think a lot of you say in your introduction to the book that you have some 200 baking books on your shelf. So, you know, talk about what you wanted to contribute now. Well, you know, I I, um, I say that um, I'm a graduate of the Backdoor School of Baking, which means that. Um, I've been very lucky to go to back doors of many bakeries and have those doors opened and have people really show me what is special about their work, what is special about their ingredients, what is special about their breads. And this book is really um, um, a, a testament to my good fortune that I've met so many wonderful bakers and wonderful people, and I wanted to write about it. And, and the world of bread is evolving. I mean, if I, if I think back to what 
I was exposed to, you know, 35, 40 years ago to what is happening now. You know, it's, it's um, I, I use the analogy of, you know, Whole Foods started in 1983. Okay. Nobody knew what Whole Foods was. Everybody knows what Whole Foods, you know, what Whole Foods market is today. And I think that bread baking is in many ways um, uh, following a renaissance of food uh, awareness. And so um, I, I wanted to just write about the changing world of bread, what's old and what's new. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about – I thought that this was mainly about what's old, but let's go right down this road, uh, what's new. So there are some there are some ingredients and techniques. So obviously a lot of people that are listening to this are bakers. I know home baking has never died here in the great north, uh, which I'm very happy about. Um, but let's talk about some of the stuff. Uh, one of the things I was really surprised about is how many of your rye – breads use a, a, a not just a starter but also a kind of um toasted crumbs tell me about that well you know um rye breads in in europe especially people who focus on rye breads you know the rye starter is just one of the foundations of of great rye bread people take old bread they they grind it up they toast it and they soak it some people do um, hot water soakers where they actually cook rye flour and water together um, um, to, to as a way of getting more water in the dough. Because you know, getting getting the max amount of water in bread is what makes it really delicious. And then you know, people are using uh, time and temperature in very interesting ways to coax out flavor, to coax out texture. So it's a mix of interesting ingredients. It's a mix of time and it's a mix of temperature. And it's, um, and it's also following very, you know, some of these breads that have like uh, toasted rye flour, toasted rye bread in them, it's still a very traditional recipe. Okay. But it's, I want to talk about all the different things. For, for one thing, I did not know how many breads were using these different, um, you know, just, we'll just focus on rye for a minute here. Uh, you know, it seems like a very thrifty thing. It seems like something people might have done in a in a world before iPhones and refrigeration and you know, FedEx. Um, but it's uh, you know, so tell me actually just about that. Is this a rediscovery of a of a way that people were doing things for hundreds of years, or not rediscovery, but you know, putting forward something that people have done for generations, or is it a full on new technique? No, it's it's something that people have done for a long time, but it's something that was kind of you know, hidden away in bakeries. You know, you'd go to the back room and there would be rye breads drying and then it would have a grinding machine. And I, it's not something that, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's an old thing that's new. It's kind of, there's a, there's a light shown on it now. And so, and so it's an old technique. And in the same way that, you know, sourdough isn't new, but if you, if you were to look at Instagram now, you would think that sourdough is something that was just invented. I mean, so many people are excited about it. So I think that there's a, there's, a, there's a variety of techniques that have been in the baker's toolbox that because baking was kind of a quiet world that people didn't pay a lot of attention to, and now that bread is getting focused, these techniques are coming to the light. Okay, so it was kind of a world where uh, you'd be a baker and you'd take on an apprentice, and it was, I don't want to say an oral tradition, but something like that. It was a, a very hands-on. Oh, very much so. Okay. Um, so, and then the crumbs. I'm just. I'm gonna just keep talking about these crumbs. I'm obsessed. They are a way to get moisture into a rye bread. 
it's it's one of the ways. Okay, so um, you know, bread that is baked and ground up absorbs water in a different way than flour and water. Okay, and when you when you put this, let's call it a mush. You know, when you have this ground up bread and you put hot water in it, it's so it can it can it can hold a lot more water than just rye flour and water. So it's a way to add texture. It's a way to add flavor. It's a way to add add color because the, the, you, might, you might when you grind this up, you have the carm, the caramelization of the crust. So it, it, you're doing many things at the same time. That's very interesting to me because I've been eating bread and walking around and trying bakeries. And, you know, you always kind of hit this level where what a really good bakery can do is better than what you can do with a packet of Red Star yeast in your kitchen. I do want to add one one uh, point about the rye breads that I forgot to mention, and that is that rye breads that are a staple of Northern Europe, let's say from mid-Germany up through, you know, all of Germany, up to Latvia, Finland, uh, Sweden, Norway, these dark Northern European, rye, Northern European rye breads are a staple there. And we're just learning about that staple here. So it's it's kind of like... It's very new to us because we don't know about it. But it's it's not new to these bakers that I went to visit and write about. Well, yes, I know. But a lot of us don't get into uh, <laughs> the bakeries of Czechoslovakia or whatever. Yeah. All right, another area I really want to talk to you about is Italy. I think that in... You know, you're a you're a sophisticated bakery goer in North America. You feel like you know the Italian breads. You feel like you're aware of you know a semolina loaf and uh, uh, the Christmas breads. And but no, that's not all there is. Altamora, where is it? Uh, Altamora is an area in Puglia, uh, south you know southeastern um, um, Italy, not far from Bari, and. Altamora is uh, the home to, of a very, very famous bread called Pani di Altamori. And this bread has what they call a DOP, a Denominazione Originata Producto, which so, basically so, yeah, means... Yeah, so if people are listening, like that's the same stuff they put on the very fancy cheeses and the very good uh, wines. Exactly. So there's only two breads that I know of in Italy, the Pani Gensano and the Pani Altamora, that has this DOP. And it basically, this DOP says that in order for a bread to have this special sticker, the DOP sticker, it has to be made with certain ingredients, with certain type of sourdough, baked in, a, in, a, in certain shapes, and baked in a wood-fired oven. And it even goes so far as to how thick the crust has to be in order to be called this Pani Altamora. And it's made from um, a very, very refined semolina flour. So it's a very golden crumb and a very, very darkish red brown crust, but very, very, very rugged. And uh, this bread, um, you know, Altamora uh, and uh, the neighboring town Matera, these are small towns. I, I don't know offhand how big they are. But these breads get shipped all over Italy. That's how, that's how famous. And they get shipped into, into Germany. I know stores in Germany that, that, that sell the true uh, Pani Altamora with the DOP sticker on it. So it's a very special bread. It's a very simple technique. They use a sourdough called a levito madre, which is just a, 
a very stiff uh, semolina sourdough that they actually, uh, when they feed it, when they feed it with flour and water, they wrap it in these linen cloths, and they're like bricks of wild yeast that they that they add into the dough. I love all of this. I could talk about this all day. I'm going to bother you about one more loaf of bread. So in Minnesota, we have had we're having a, a local milling local grain renaissance. So all of a sudden we have a bunch of um, flowers, a bunch of tools that you never had before. Tools or ingredients. What do I mean? I think I mean both. Um, Because it's kind of like you can't, you know, you can't crochet some fancy lace if you don't have the right silk thread and you can't make these breads without these flowers. And all of a sudden we have them at places like Bakersfield in Northeast. Uh, And then if you get this book from Daniel Leader, I'm talking to Living Bread, you just take it all to the next level. All right, so I want to talk to you about Schwarzbrot. Let's talk about these very dark, sticky, old-world breads. You have this one in the book that I'm a little bit obsessed with. You make this very dark rye like we were talking about and then add walnuts, which makes me think it's for the holidays, and then you kind of roll it into a sausage. This is a bread like I've never seen. Yeah, well, this is from a a very uh, famous bakery um, in Dusseldorf. Um, and um, this bakery is really kind of, um, how could I say, it's, 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 a, it's a bakery that, it, you know, everybody knows this bakery, and, and everybody knows Schwarzbrot, and everybody knows the, the walnut bread. It's, uh, it's, it, uh, it's, the, it's, uh, it's a bakery called Hinkle, and it's on the main shopping street. There's still kind of an old world shopping street with clothing stores and butcher shops and cheese shops. And this is the bakery. And I, I, I think I think it's fair to say that of all the bakeries I've been in the world, I don't think anyone sells as much bread as uh, Hinkle does out the front door. Literally in the morning, it takes them, I think, two to three hours to set up the bread display because there are so many breads that they've baked the night before and it's all sold out uh, all sold out the right out the front door i and the book i call it um, i call joseph hinkle uh dusseldorf's beloved baker because he is so beloved by the community and he makes these very very great um uh, german rye breads and the Schwarzbrot is just one of maybe 50 or 60 breads that he makes on a daily basis Okay, I did not have Dusseldorf bakeries on my life list of things I want to get done. Now it's on on the list. He is definitely on my list, that's for sure. All right. I am just so crazy about this book. It is, uh, you know, like I said, I'm a little jaded. I've read a lot of baking books, of, and yours just kind of blew my mind. It's so much good stuff in there. Um, and I just want to add that I was very fortunate um, by chance to meet this amazing photographer, uh, his name is Jorg Lehman, and we met through um, a, a, a common friend in Paris, and we kind of, it was like a moment that like, you felt like it was destined. You know, we met at this restaurant, and he said to me, you know, I've been visiting all these bakers all over Europe, and I want to photograph this great bread book, and I said, well, I've been visiting all these bakers in Europe, and I want to write this great bread book, <laughs> and we and we traveled all through Europe together. I mean, when you look at this book, I mean, this is the culmination of dozens of trips across Europe, either by me or by Jorg or by both of us at the same time. Um, and he's captured these brilliant moments in, 
whether it's in wheat fields in Parma or a miller in Sicily or a bakery in Berlin or Munich or Dusseldorf, he captures the essence of bread in a way that I've, you know, it's unique. I'm not going to say it's the best, but I'm going to say it's unique in a way that really touches your heart and touches your soul. Well, I am very grateful for it, and I know a lot of home bakers are just going to be uh, dying. This is like a whole a whole new world has opened up in this book. I'm very well, excited about that, it. That was, that, was, that was the goal, a whole new world of bread. All right. Well, everybody, this is Daniel Leader. It's Leader, just like he's leading us to really good bread. Uh, Mr. Leader, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. And uh, on my last book tour, I went to Minneapolis and I taught some classes. I've forgotten where where it was, but I was amazed at how enthusiastic the students were about baking bread at home. So I know that uh, this is a, a good place for bread. This is where we, we this is what we like to do. We are the we are the holdout. We are the people that did not go gluten free and we just continued baking and we're gonna continue baking because it is the staff of life and very important. And now we got the new new way to do it. So I, I can't thank you enough. And I really appreciate your call and uh, enjoy the book. Oh, thank you, thank you. All, All right, right, everybody. We're gonna take a break, we're gonna come back. How easy can you make applesauce? Uh, those verbs are wrong, but you know what I'm saying really easily. I'm talk about the easy applesauces, the complicated applesauces, why you should go out and buy all the apples because we live in the fall in the north, and that's amazing, and we'll have all of that when we come back. All right, this is a this is a shout out to all good Minnesotans. You got to go support your apple orchards this week. I love apple orchards. Yeah, I know we did pie last week. We're doing applesauce this week because Life should also be easy and smell great. What? Uh, okay, so these are all up at WCCORadio.com. They're up on my Facebook page, Dara.Grumdahl. You can find them through my Twitter, at Dear Dara, or you can call your grandkids and get them to print them out for you. Okay, so here's what we got. Uh, I've got all the easy recipes and some of the hard ones. So what's the most basic? This is a nice Martha Stewart recipe where you just – Peel and cut up your apples, and then you put it with a little lemon zest. I like a little lemon zest in there. It gives it a little more body. Um, Martha puts a little cloves and nutmeg in there. Very Christmassy. How about you make yourself some this weekend and then freeze some for yourself at the holidays? That's good life. Slow cooker applesauce, the easiest thing in the world. My kid's third and fourth grade teacher used to do this. Just put a crock pot in the corner. Every kid would bring in an apple. And then they had one of those spiral hand crank apple peelers. Everybody took a turn, throw the apple in. How good is that? I mean, you take the core out, you put it in, and then smush it. Your house will smell good. You get applesauce at the end of it. This is a win-win. Um, I've got a recipe for an applesauce bunt cake because I think, whoa, what if you just make so much applesauce, you got tons left over, then you put it in a bunt pan and make a cake. That's called winning life. Betty Crocker's Chunky Ginger Applesauce. Okay, here's the thing. I really like crystallized ginger, different from all the other gingers, so they they soak it in a sugar syrup. Um, And then if you sprinkle that on your applesauce, that's good. You can make it with that. Got a nice Betty Crocker recipe. Thank you all the Bettys out there over the generations. And then my last one, apple butter. I know that some of you think applesauce is too mild, it's too boring, and I hear from you. If you want to make a real apple butter, I've got a way to do it. It's at WCCORadio.com. You've got to chunk up your apples. 
You're going to roast them. You're going to pass it through a food mill. You're going to live large. That's what's going on there. All right, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back with Mike DeCamp, chef of many things, and we're going to find out what he's up to next. Dara here. All right, I'm talking to a chef I initially knew as YC because he was the youngest chef in all the world. He was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he used to work at the in, back in the LaBelle V kitchen when he was uh, a little bigger than a baby, I think. was the What is it, 17 you started? Oh, right, uh, 17 at D'Amico Cucina, actually. D'Amico Cucina, YC. Now he's grown up. He's known by his actual name that his parents <laughs> gave him, Mike DeCamp. He runs... Many of the best restaurants in town. P.S. Steak has a lot of buzz. That's his restaurant. Uh, Manello, our finest Italian place, that's his restaurant. And uh, the the bar- the parlors. You eat the cult parlor burgers. You then you've had his food. And then a uh, burrow. Burrow has been a little bit of um has been a little neglected in the great expansion of the last couple of years. But now you've turned your attention to Burrow. You're here to tell us. What up in the North Loop? It used to be so easy to park around there. Woo. Yeah, they're working. They're working on that. They're working on that. Yeah, There's yeah, some yeah. ramps going in. Yeah. So. All right. So what's going on at Burrow? Well, we wanted to kind of breathe a little bit of new life into it, just kind of freshen it up. Anything after seven years, you know, I'd like to think about it as if I had a thousand people coming to my house every week, it would get a little rundown. So <laughs> Burrow's kind of our house, and we needed to kind of remodel a little bit. All right. And so what'd you do? Um, we brought a little bit of, well, besides changing the menu completely, we went in a new direction with the menu, a little more ingredient focused. Uh, I remember a few weeks ago listening to one of David Chang's podcasts. He was talking about all, how all of his friends want to cook Italian food because it's so simple. Like as they get older, I guess that's pretty true. Um, there's nowhere to hide with a bunch of ingredients on the plate or anything like that. So that's really kind of how we focused the main menu at Burrow. All right. And then, so you have meats now. Burrow was not known for the meats. True. Well, we sell a lot of meat through a, through a fantastic cheeseburger, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we focus a little more on specific meats. So we have a separate menu um, where we bring in uh, a whole pig or two every week. We break that down and we use all the pieces parts to make different, uh, different dishes we change it once or twice or three times a week, depending on what we run out of. We make an andouille sausage, maybe, or we have a garlic sausage, or we have some pork chops or something with the belly, just anything that we feel like doing with all the pieces parts. The feet? Someone was actually asking me, he's like, where can I get pig's feet in this town anymore? And I did not know the answer. So, Well, we're saving them to do a little more of a stuffed trotter uh, type of dish. Um, oh, really? Kind of, kind of a, not necessarily cotechino, but... Uh, like braised trotter with lentils, kind of a classic Italian dish, but uh, something real simple. We only get two a week, two a two a, a half of a pig, so we have to hold on to those until we. Very interesting. Don't run so this is a, I guess this is a trend because I know at Bachelor Farmer they get in a, a hog every week and then they bust that out, and people are a little bit obsessive about them mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. there on Mondays for the pork chops <laughs> when those they first come out. It's kind of. What would be the equivalent? It's like you want the first slice of cake, I guess. Uh, and so is that what's going on at a borough? Are you going to, you know, ha- have that? Uh, hope, well, we don't, we're not focusing on one day a week. That's every day. Um, not on Sundays because we're closed Sunday nights. But we, we want to be able to give a little more creative freedom to the kitchen where it's more forces them to – I want them to be forced to be more creative because – the more we change that menu, the more the dishes on the main menu may change. Just 
creativity, more creativity spawns more creativity, I like to think. So it's kind of kind of fun like that. Oh, interesting. And so obviously if you're getting in whole animals, you got to be creative in that, you know, nose to tail, mm-hmm. make it work way. Every week or even twice a week. They have to always be thinking ahead about what they want to do and stay organized too. So that's something that I've been focusing on a lot the past few years is organization and creativity. So it's weird how they go hand in hand. It sounds like they shouldn't, but they do a little bit. Yeah, because you can be lazy and just have, you know, I can, there's certain restaurants I could shame that have had the same re- menu for, you know, 15 years. And right. you're like, oh, that, uh, that, that sea bass <laughs> in the style of Nobu is getting a little tired up right, on there. Right, right. It was very trendy back, uh, you know, I don't know what, in the 90s. And now here we are still. But you just put it on your Cisco list and they bring it every week and they're, you know, and then you just. You can be lazy. Right, right. It's easy It's easy to maintain. It's hard to push forward, I guess, is kind of where where we're thinking. So, And that's kind of where we – that's why we redesigned Burrow. Re, that's why we re- refreshed Burrow to, to be able to push forward and to start thinking in the future, for the future. Yeah, because that's where you are in your career, right? So you were the the <laughs> – the person who worked really hard, and then you're the person re- recognized for your creativity, and then it's like different levels of a video game, and then you get, and then all of a sudden people are like, "Well, we can manage all these people that used to right, be like right. you are." Right. It's a, uh, it's a weird path. Now, now I need to help them uh, grow their careers and be and teach them what I learned through mine. So. All right, and so to make that happen, you you brought in trolleys. I have not been to see this. What tro- What do you like? I think like ding, 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 and you know some. <laughs> we, uh, the bell's on the way, but uh, <laughs> we do. So um, the chefs generally, chefs of the restaurant generally get all of the creative freedom to do the to do the stuff on the menu. Um, what we've done is we've made a little like a, a trolley that. Any of the cooks, they're scheduled to work it every Friday and Saturday. They come up with the dishes on their own. Um, the chefs taste them, so they're still good, and they help. They, they in turn help make them better chefs along the way. It's kind of a, a <laughs> trickle down teaching, I guess. Um, that didn't work so well for the economy, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it uh, it's they get to do their own thing. They go out in the dining room. They push the trolley around. They sell it to the tables. They, okay, so they have a trolley, like a yeah. it's like a little push cart ish yeah. thing. If you if you're familiar with. I, I, like a cheese trolley, you know. Kind of, yeah. I'm reluctant to say dim sum cart mm-hmm. because there it, it it's not only like uh, Chinese style dishes, but there's plenty of French, Italian, uh, Mediterranean style dishes on there, but with some Asian influence too. So they're free to make whatever kind of dishes they want on the on the trolley, and we sell them for no not into double digits. So. Four, five, six dollars uh, this weekend, and um, it's it's been great. It's nice to bring a little bit of the back of the house to the front of the house and kind of blur the lines a little bit. That must be getting people out of their comfort zones. Very I much, know yeah, yeah. Chefs like to a lot, not all of them, but a lot of chefs like to keep their head down, no one looking <laughs> at them, and just do the work. Right. That's uh, I a hundred percent was that person for about twenty five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> So still kind of that person a little bit, but uh, but it's good to get out of your comfort zone. I'm glad. I'm glad it's not you know they're not flambéing um, you know a rack of lamb or something. No, but we do some of that with the pastry now. So there's some uh, little we do a little crepe Suzette with some uh, heritage. We make the crepe with some heritage uh, malted barley and then um, flambé the uh, blueberries and then we put that over the top. It's uh, kind of beautiful. So there is fire in the kitchen in the dining room. Sorry, but uh, that's. 
there's a trained professional doing it. So. <laughs> a flambe situation. I don't see that too much anymore. All right. So you've got a lot of uh, a lot of management and juggling to do in that kind of way. Um, and it's it seems like a very delicate dance. And then you have to do that while you're also making a babillion. I think that's the metric that we use to talk about how many cheeseburgers come out of parlor into and go downstairs to. Uh, that's probably the right number. <laughs> it's you know it's uh well you know uh I have good people in place at all the restaurants. Uh, they I couldn't I couldn't get away from all the restaurants to go to the other restaurants if I didn't. So I think um, I like to think that I help them get to the place where I can feel comfortable to go around and make sure everything's tasty and working well, and I don't have to worry too much. All right. Look, since I've, we've got a couple minutes, let me just bother you about P.S. Steak. So last we left, it was very much a work in progress with some terrific elements and some kind of awkward growing pains. Where is P.S. Steak today in the most historic restaurant space <laughs> that we have in the Twin Cities, in the old 510 uh, up? You know, everybody knows. If you don't know what the 510 is, you got to know. But P.S. Steak is there. Um, it's been a restaurant since the 1920s, I think, or certainly since the 80s. Um, and what, what are, where are we with P.S. Steak? Is it finding its people? Yeah, we have – we've we, – we put a big focus into the hospitality end of things. Um, Wyatt has really developed the menu into – That's a bartender. I, in, I interviewed him recently for some stuff at mspmag.com and in the magazine. So you've got a new kind of a, a bartender to hold things down. Yeah, uh, Keith Morotek. He uh, he came to us from Norseman. I actually first met Keith uh, when he was working at uh, Marvel Bar. And um, we're so happy to have him. The, the, the place has always had a great cocktail program uh, since I started there, I should say. Um, back when La Bellevue first opened, we kind of helped spur uh, the cocktail renaissance in town um, there. And I'm happy to see someone back there driving the uh, – I'm, ju- I'm just realizing, like my brain is uh, putting together some thoughts. Uh, the kind of bartender is the role that the maitre d' played mm-hmm. a generation ago. Like that's what you need. You don't uh, – you need that, that one talent anchor who knows people's name yeah. that kind of holds down a destination bar. Yep, and for people to come and see too. Um, you have to – at least when you're starting. Once people get used to going to your bar, then they go kind of see whoever. The style kind of stays the same a little bit, but uh, – when you're first getting going, it's nice to have someone familiar, someone that you recognize, someone that you know is talented and makes great drinks. And, uh, you know, not that we didn't have that before, but there was no one person to point to. Mm-hmm. And now Keith has kind of taken up that mantle. So Interesting. Very interesting. All right. So P.S. Steak is kind of putting more people in place. I know everybody's getting ready for holiday already, thinking about where they're going. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that yet. Think about what, and so P.S. Steak is on that list because it's very, it's a destination. Yeah. You look good. Everybody looks good. <laughs> That's a lighting thing. That's like a rest, the most underappreciated part of restaurants is that you, the lighting of the restaurants where you look really good, those are those are always packed. We keep the we keep the lights dim in the steakhouse end of it, so uh, it's uninstagrammable. Uh, the food, anyway, it's uh, dark, so it never is going to look good. I've done it. I've done it myself. <laughs> I've Instagrammed that. Um, but it's I hear you know Grapevine tells me that that's the the hot bar right now is the bar back in the steakhouse. I love that bar. Uh, it's the one thing we added to add. Um, if you're not familiar with the space, there was no bar in the back half of the dining room. But uh, or the back dining room, but we added a bar back there to kind of create some action and some 
less formality, I guess, uh, to just make it seem more homey. And it, when I first went, it had sort of a goth Harry Potterish vibe to it, and I thought, oh, is this too much? No, people love it. It's <laughs> it's just exactly what uh, they wanted. All these things you got to juggle in a restaurant today. All right, Mike DeCamp, thank you for talking to us about the goings on at all the different little places. I appreciate you coming in today. And uh, people, if you want to see an a uncomfortable chef behind a dim sum cart making some magic, I guess hit Duro. <laughs> That's it. Fridays and Saturdays right now, but. Uh... All right. Well, thank you, Chef. Thank you very much. All right. We'll come back. We got a couple minutes for the Ask Me Anything. And uh, so, yeah, text us if you got something. Dara here. All right. We got a couple minutes. I got a question. Bakeries to go to get those good Northern European breads in town. Um, I am still mourning the uh, loss of Blackies in Northeast. That was such a good bakery. Places I really like Sun Street Breads. Uh, it's right off 46th Street. Solveig Tofty does all the Scandinavian breads. Um, she's a kind of a jet-set international baking teacher these days. So Solveig Tofty over at Sun Street, really good. And then I just can't get enough of that Bakersfield up at Curin's Cafe in Northeast. That's that big food complex building, food building with the cheese that they make and the red table meats and the different breads. Um Let's see. I got a question about pickled pig's feet, or I guess it's just a comment. Pickled pig's feet, yum. Yeah, I am with you there. The best pig's feet I ever had in town was uh, Vincent, a restaurant, which is gone, unfortunately. And uh, very good for the skin. Very good to have collagen in your in your uh, in your diet. All right. So what is happening else around here? Um, I got next week. We've got Lee's Fit Deck. Dean of the Star Tribune Taste Section. They have a big 50th anniversary that they are celebrating. So we're going to have Lee come in. She's going to talk to us about all the all the changes she's seen at the Taste Section over the week, over the years, over the many years. And then also there's this big new thing coming to the North Loop called Three Jack. It's a Golf simulators and cocktails for all those of you who thought that Can Can Wonderland was too uh, not good enough, golf enough, too artsy, then there's something for you. To me, it seems a little spendy. It's like 60 bucks an hour to pretend to hit golf balls while you're drinking. I don't know. Apparently, I'm of the old school. But maybe this is going to be a big corporate thing. I don't know. We'll have those guys in. They will explain things. So the Twin Cities, they are changing, and then they are also not changing. People want to golf and cocktail, and people want to read the taste section. So that's our that's our big takeaway. So, all right, till next week, those applesauce recipes are up. And may your apples sauce and your resolve never melt. And I will meet you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.